is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Right, good morning everybody. Most of you know who I am, but for introductory um, purposes, my name's Ray, part of the leadership team here at Jubilee, and it's my privilege to bring the word to you uh, this morning. Okay, if you want a title for this morning, it's, I've entitled it, Working with the Holy Spirit. Um, Last week, if you were here, uh, you will have heard Sam, um, who spoke from Acts chapter 8, which was centered around uh, Philip the Evangelist. Um, if you missed it, not to worry, you can catch up um, by listening to the recording, which can be found on our website section, uh, the media section, again, www.jubilee.org.uk forward slash media. Prior to Sam's message last week, I also was looking in the books of Acts, but chapters 6 and 7, um, and Sam spoke of how the Holy Spirit uh, used Philip uh, to go to the Ethiopian eunuch and share the good news of the gospel, which ended up in this high court official being baptized and returning to his country, a believer in Jesus Christ. And what an amazing, amazing account that was. So much supernatural stuff going off here and everywhere. The Holy Spirit right in the middle of things. And that was exciting to hear. Uh, and so I was quite intrigued and thinking, Lord, what, what do you want me to bring this morning? So I'm going to be speaking to you predominantly from chapter 6 of Acts, which is a total different sto- story. Yet I believe that chapter 8 is intrinsically linked to these previous chapters 6 and 7. So this morning we will be looking at how, the whole, how in the early church um, the, that, that serving and the Holy Spirit were linked together. I'm going to start off by looking in Acts chapter 6, and we're going to read the first 10 verses. So, if you want to turn to your Bibles, if you've got one, or your mobile devices, or whatever device you have, uh, we'll turn to Acts chapter 6 and verse 1. In those days when the number of disciples were increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among the among them complained about the Hebrew, 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 I'll get this right in a minute, Hebraic, no, I can't, I've got it all wrong now, all tongue twisted, Hebraic Jews, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. The proposal uh, pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, and Primenus and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert, convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly 
and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from the members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. So you may be asking, how is this linked to chapter 8? In time we will see, but for now, some background to what was happening in Jerusalem prior to Philip's encounter with the Ethiopian eunuch. Jesus had died, was resurrected, and before ascending to heaven, spent a short time with the disciples, reassuring them. Acts 1 tells us this, After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them the commandment, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my father, that my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Along with this, Jesus assigned the Great Commission to the disciples. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Matthew 28. They did as instructed, and as he was, as was promised by Jesus, the Holy Spirit descended upon them at Pentecost, prior to which these fearful, frail, little, educated disciples became bold and courageous apostles, full of confidence for the kingdom of God through having received the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Everything changed. They had a clear mandate given by the Lord and they went for it. What caused this change? They were not alone. They had a helper. It was the Holy Spirit who was with them. And as they relied, leaned and trusted him, he worked through them to perform many miraculous deeds. In the midst of the proclamation of the word and demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit through signs and wonders and miracles, many hundreds, thousands turned to Christ and the church of Jerusalem began to grow. Wherever there is a mighty work of God, you can be assured that the enemy is at work. That is Satan. And he will attack and hinder the advancement of the kingdom of God, whether it's on a personal level or on a church level. So the enemy tried to destabilize de the church from within by trying to cause division amongst the Hebraic and the Grecian believers in Jerusalem. More on this a little later on. When this failed, he proceeded to initiate four bouts of persecution. And we can see these in chapters 4 and 5, 6 and 8. Chapter 4, 
Peter and John were arrested and put in jail for proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus. Chapter 5, the apostles are arrested and put into jail for performing miracles, signs, wonders, and healings. Chapter 6, Stephen, one of the seven chosen to serve the church, stoned to death, proclaiming the word and performing miracles, signs, and wonders. And then chapter 8, Saul, later known as Paul, initiated the greatest persecution, causing the church to be dispersed and scattered all throughout Judea, Samaria, and beyond. But the apostles remained in Jerusalem. What the evil one had planned failed, and the very opposite happened. It tells us in chapter 8 of verse 4, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. See, when God is at work, you can't contain him. You can't hold him back. doesn't matter how hard you try. And this is what was happening. Instead of shutting the church down, the church grew. Let's just go back and review what happened in chapter 6. We can see from this chapter how the apostles served and how they modeled service within the church. Serving and looking after the most vulnerable, especially the widows, has always been an important part of the Jewish custom and tradition throughout Scripture. It is evident that serving at the tables was not a task the apostles considered was beneath them. In fact, it was a demonstration of true leadership and servanthood as taught by Jesus. Jesus himself demonstrated servanthood through washing of the disciples' feet prior to his crucifixion, a clear display of servanthood. True service has loving humility at the very core of its motivation. And this is what we saw Jesus display to the disciples. And we can see this unfolding in the lives of the apostles. This kind of service is not Natural, it's not a natural characteristic, but it's supernatural. Serving is at the very heart of the Christian faith, and everyone is called to serve. When it uses the term waiting on tables in Acts chapter 6, verse 2, which involved the daily distribution of food, may sound a little condescending um, compared with serving the word of God. Chapter 6, verse 4. What are the apostles saying here? Are the apostles saying that taking care of people's needs for food is less important than preaching the word? I don't believe this is what the text is saying. Another way of viewing the passage says that waiting on tables is considered to be a trivial task, uh, a humble task, or one of the lower tasks within the community. Again, I don't believe this is what the text is saying either. As we read and look further into the passage, we will gain a better understanding and all will become uh, a lot clearer. So often we fall into the trap of seeing things through human perspective. We have a tendency to evaluate and distinguish between what we perceive as a menial tasks as opposed to those tasks of more value when really we should view things from a spiritual standpoint of view. As believers, we are all called to serve God 
in every sphere of our lives, whether in the church, home, work, neighborhood, your community, wherever it might be. Paul says this in Colossians 3, 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for your masters, human masters. Now, I know most of you will say, Ray, this, this is out of context. Now, this verse is written in the context of slaves and masters, which was a custom of that era. However, there is a spiritual principle here at work which we need to understand, which is we are to carry out whatever we are doing as though it was for the Lord himself. When you think of it like this, it changes our perspective. Therefore, when we serve, in whatever capacity we serve, we are to serve as though we are serving as unto the Lord. This is a challenging thought, isn't it? Ooh, makes you feel uncomfortable, doesn't it? Let's allow that just to sink in a little bit. Because I believe that this approach drives us to learn and lean more upon the Holy Spirit for help. Whilst fulfilling the task of waiting on tables, the apostles found themselves in a dilemma, a predicament. It was right for the apostles to spend time administering uh, and meeting the practical needs of the widows, but not to the detriment of their central calling, which was prayer and the ministry of the word. Their recognition of their shortfall prompted renewed thinking, which led them to appoint and delegate this important task to others. They didn't ditch one ministry for another. They saw the importance of both and made uh, provision for both. God did not call the apostles to be everything for the church. God has and will raise up others to serve in other ways. He always does. Let's just look for a moment at the criteria that was set by the apostles for service of waiting on tables. The Amplified uh, Bible sums it up very well as follows. Verse 3, chapter 6 still. Therefore, brothers, choose from among you seven men of good reputation, men of godly character and moral integrity full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. One may ask, and quite rightly, why would you need to be of good reputation, one full of godly character and moral integrity and full of the Spirit and wisdom in order to serve on tables? Valid question. I submit four reasons to you. First, because none of these characteristics are truly effective without the Holy Spirit living in our lives. Of course, you will find people around that have a good reputation or moral integrity, even a godly-like character. Well, if they don't have the Holy Spirit living within them, then they are limited to what they are able truly to achieve for the kingdom of God. 
ultimately, reputation is what others think is true about you. While character is what God knows to be true about us. And there's a big difference. Second reason. From the kingdom perspective, anything done without dependence and help from the Holy Spirit will end up being done in our own strength and ability, which limits what we are able to achieve for the kingdom of God. What I mean is, at the very core of our spirit and being, there should be an inner acknowledgement of our need for reliance on the Holy Spirit which spurs us to rely on him rather than on our own abilities and strengths. It's almost like an unconscious awareness which stems from a conscious acknowledgement of our need and reliance on the Holy Spirit. It's like an inner knowing, an inner awareness of our spirit Witnessing with the Holy Spirit within us. A sense that our spirit is in line with the Holy Spirit and brings us a confidence that is not of ourselves, but of the Holy Spirit who is working in us and through us. It is the Holy Spirit who joins our spirit to affirm, to testify, to confirm, and to assure us. In a similar way, when we became believers in Christ, having given our lives to the Lord Jesus, the Spirit himself testifies within our spirit that we are the children of God. We have this inner testimony, and it works in the same way on a daily basis. I hope that makes sense. Um, Now, that doesn't mean we can't do anything without the Holy Spirit. Of course we can. However, being filled with the Spirit is an absolute necessity for effective ministry for God. Without his supernatural power for ministry, for ministry, the apostles would not have achieved what they did. And remember that every believer is a minister of Jesus in one way or another. Everything we do every day is some way a ministry. In some sense, a ministry. The question is, in whose power are you ministering throughout the week? Yours or his? Only the latter will bear eternal spiritual fruit. We are all filled each day. But the question is, are we filled with self or are we filled with the Holy Spirit? As someone has previously said, in every believer, the Holy Spirit is resident. In every believer... The Holy Spirit is resident, but what he wants is to be president. President. 
The third reason I would give is it was important for the apostles to set such a criteria to ensure that the kingdom values were maintained and that the correct people were chosen for the task which required not only good reputation in the sight of both the people and the apostles, but more importantly, having a clear alliance and anointing of the Holy Spirit. The idea behind being full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom is that these men were to be both spiritually minded and practically minded. Why? So that they could address the issues at hand, to handle the difficult situations well. This is why, where godly wisdom was required, especially when there was an underlining charged atmosphere of complaints between the Hebraic and Grecian believers with the possibility and the danger of division. Wisdom is not knowledge. You can have a lot of knowledge about Jesus and doctrine matters, but virtually be void of godly wisdom. Here's a crucial difference. Wisdom is the supernaturally enabled ability to use knowledge from God's point of view. Wisdom is the supernaturally enabled ability to use knowledge from God's point of view. Now, knowledge can puff you up because you know so much, but wisdom makes you humble and reliant on God. And remember that godly wisdom is something we can pray for and we can all have. James chapter 1 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all, to all, generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. And my fourth uh, reason is as follows. They had to be men, the church family and the apostles felt confident in. So, what can we learn from this? I suggest that we need the help of the Holy Spirit, even with what may seem the simplest of tasks. If we are asking the Holy Spirit's help with the simple things, then it will follow. We will ask his help with the complex ones, because we have already established a reliance and a dependence upon the Holy Spirit. Verse 3 says this, they asked the congregation to nominate the men. They selected, they picked out from, from among them these men. But the decision really rested with the apostles. This was not an exercise of congregational government. Though the apostles wisely wanted the va- and valued the, the input from the congregation. The final decision rested with the apostles. This is why it's so important to hold up leadership in every sphere of church life in prayer so that 
they may be wise and reliant on the Holy Spirit. I can't stress that enough. We really do in every aspect, from creation right up to those who are preaching and in between. Verse 5. The proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Paramenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. After praying for God's guidance and approval, the apostles approved the seven by laying their hands on them. It was important to lay hands on them, even if the service was mainly for the practical needs of widows. Practical service is spiritual service. The Greek word uh, used for both uh, distribution in chapter uh, 6, verse 1, and the ministry of the word in verse 4, the idea behind the word in both places is service. It's the same Greek word that's used. I looked that up yesterday. Whether in practical ways or spiritual ways. So, from the seven listed here, I'm going to be concentrating on only one. Who do you think that is? Shout it out if you think you know who it is. Nobody's brave enough. Okay, I'll tell you. I'll give you a hint, I'll give you a hint when I first started. Chapter 8. Philip. Yeah, Philip. Sam talked about Philip, so that's where the connection is. Chapter 8, chapter 6. So Philip was the first uh, chosen uh, to serve uh, at the tables. We've already established he was known to be of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. He learned to minister and take care of the needs of the people, and in particular the widows. And no doubt during this time, he came across those who needed the touch of the Lord, and he ended up ministering to them, and he saw many miracles and healing. This is a guy who's serving at tables, yeah? God has a way of you ministering even when you're serving on tables and getting you to where you need you to be. It was through the severe persecution uh, which was instigated... Am I on the right one here? Yeah. It was through the severe persecution which was instigated by Paul, who later became known as Paul, that caused Philip, along with many of the other disciples, to flee Jerusalem. But his fervor for serving God and extending the kingdom did not diminish. Rather, it grew. So his energetic preaching, however, earned him uh, the title of Philip the Evangelist. And he led uh, many to the Lord. He led, him, uh, he led the uh, ministry, sorry, he ministered in uh, Samaria, uh, in Palestine, where he converted, among others, the famous uh, well, magician, the Bible calls him Simon, in Acts 8. And later, of course, we have spoken already about the uh, trip from Jerusalem to Gaza, where he leads the, and baptizes the Ethiopian eunuch uh, um, for the Lord. Philip's missionary journeys ended in Caesarea, in Acts 8, where he raised up four daughters who were prophetesses. He entertained the Apostle Paul, 
and his companions on their last journey to Jerusalem in Acts 21. According to Greek uh, tradition, he became the bishop of Tralles, which is modern Aden in Turkey. Philip's service started off waiting on tables and ended up as a bishop serving in modern Turkey. What an amazing testimony. What an amazing journey. Overall, the results uh, for the apostles was also amazing. It says in verse 7, So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Why? Because the apostles concentrated on their calling, and the chosen seven disciples carried out their calling. Men were chosen to serve at tables, to do common things, but they found, but they were found doing uncommon things, working signs and wonders among the people. As a church and the body of Christ, we are to work together for the extension of the kingdom of God, which means each one of us is called to serve in whatever capacity we can. Your skills, gifts, talents may differ from another. All ability, skill, talent is God-given and is required in order to further the kingdom of God. Success in the church relies not only on ability and gifts, but the reliance and dependence upon the Holy Spirit who enables us with his power. One calling is not higher than another. We may attach greater importance to one ministry over another, but God doesn't. Paul talks in Corinthians about each member being a part of the body of Christ. You may already be one that helps within the church, and I know there are so many that do. And on behalf of the church eldership, I can't thank you enough for your support in the ministry that God has assigned to us here at Jubilee. Without your tireless help, support, and encouragement, Jubilee would not be where it is today. You are what makes Jubilee Church Jubilee Church. So thank you again for your time, effort, hard work, and the giving of yourself. Some of you do several tasks and fill several positions, and that is not easy to do in this busy time of life. Having said that, there is still further need for service and help us within the various ministries within the church. Just to name a few, youth, creche, frog club, worship band, welcome, smile, tech team, life groups. I could go on. So I'm pleading with you, if you can help, then please come and let me know. Speak with me, speak to one of the elders. We would love for you to be a part of what Jubilee is doing here in Derby. Not only that, 
We need to relieve the load of those who are already serving in multiple areas. Each one of is needed. Each one is required. So the question is, where do you fit in? Where do you fit in? 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says the following. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Amen. The conclusion is that these seven disciples needed the same divine power source to serve bread as the apostles needed to serve living bread. If divine help was necessary for them to serve, then it is necessary for us also. I'd like to finish by leaving you three questions to consider over the week. First, how's your reputation in the sight of others? How's your reputation in the sight of others? Two, how are you serving? How are you serving? And thirdly, How's your reliance for help from the Holy Spirit every day? How's your reliance for help from the Holy Spirit every day? I hope it's been helpful. Let's just bow our heads in prayer and we'll bring the meeting to a close. Father, we thank you that we are not alone, Lord God, that you have given us your Holy Spirit who is a supreme helper, counsellor. Lord, we thank you that you have not left us alone. Help us, Lord, to rely on your Holy Spirit each and every day in every aspect of our lives. Holy Spirit, teach us to serve. Help us in our service. I pray for those who are weary, Lord, at this time, that your peace and your strength will come upon them, Lord God, and strengthen them. I thank you that, Lord, that you are calling us to come before you. And as we come before you, fill us afresh, fill us anew, Empower us with your Holy Spirit to speak on your behalf to extend your kingdom. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along with
nächsten Sonntag Monat.